as, as we go along. Uh, I've developed a uh, PowerPoint with uh, a good bit of information on it. Uh, we may or may not get through it all today. We'll find out. Uh, I have to before I start. I've used a, a Kevin Cawley. You may or may not have heard of him. I know you've heard of Wayne Jackson. And doing a lot of this study, I, I researched a lot of material they had and different things. And, boy, there's a whole lot more than you need to put into a, a, le a lesson like this. So, you know, if you want to do a, a deeper study of what we're talking about today, I would uh, suggest Wayne Sight, uh, the Christian Courier. He has a lot of information on there. And Kevin Cawley, I, I got some information from him. And if you've never been to the uh, uh, website Church of Christ Articles, I don't know if it's .com or .org. I would suggest that also. There's several good articles on there from a lot of uh, faith, faithful brethren there, and, and uh, I think you would, you would find that uh, useful. So, with that said, uh, see if I can make this work. Okay, it's already up to the first one. When you think of priesthood, what do you think about? It does. It does. <laughs> that is what we usually think of. The Levitical priesthood. Some people call it the Arianic priesthood. That's what we think of. You know. Now, were there priests before then? Or were, those, or were there people that were in that position as a priest? And when I say priest, let me go to the next, uh, next slide. All right. Maybe I haven't turned it on. Or did that turn it off? Where did I point? Try to turn it on off again. Is that on or off now? But when y'all get it to work, you move to the next slide. <laughs> and I'll keep on talking. Okay. Melchizedek is one of them. And if you think about before then, uh, even heads of families were like a mediator between God and man. And that's basically what a priest is is a mediator between... There we go. All right. He's a mediator that stands between God and man. Never going to start that? No. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you look in your Bible at Hebrews 5.1, that gives a pretty good biblical definition of, of a priest. Uh, it reads, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that's what we think of when we think of the Levitical priesthood. Those priests offered gifts that the people brought to God, free will offerings, that type of thing. And then the high priest went in once a year into the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place and offered sacrifice for the sins of the people. Okay, so those are the kind of things we think about. But again... Before then, uh, you think about uh, the heads of families. You know, Noah, after he got off the ark, what's the first thing he did? Built an altar and offered sacrifices to God. Okay? Uh, 
You think of uh, um, uh, Job. Remembering Job? He was afraid his children may have sinned. Move it down a little bit. He was afraid his children may have sinned, so he offered sacrifices in case they had. Okay? Um, and Abram was building altars in Shechem, and he was offering sacrifices to God. Of course, we know he offered his son also. But that is during the patriarchal age, but the heads of the families were serving as a mediator between uh, God and man at that time. And then when you look at uh, other older civilizations, even not the Israelite people, but we have a history of priesthoods throughout history, whether it's uh, uh, the ancient Assyrians or the Babylonians or even the Egyptians had priests. So, you know, mankind has always looked at the situation that says we need to approach God some way. And because we're not worthy, common man, then they were looking for a priest to do that. Okay, so, so that's, that was very common and still is. Now we're going to get to the Arianic, or also known as the Levitical priesthood. Now, what is uh, unique about that, and we know that, when God set that up, He set it up where the priests were of the lineage of Aaron. Aaron and his sons served as priests. Now, of course, they were Levites. That's why we call it the Levitical priesthood. But an important point is not all male Levites were priests, but all priests were male Levites. Aaron and his sons served as priests. The other Levites didn't serve as priests, but if you read in uh, in Numbers uh, chapter 3, Verses 5 through 10. Let's see if we can go ahead and go to that because I think it's interesting. And it reads like this. I'm reading from the King James Version. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him. And they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they should keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the people of Israel to do service of the tabernacle. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons that are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. You swap with me. and I talked about this on the way. I said, I'll get that when it makes the noise. At least everybody's awake. Okay. (laughs) So, the Levites had a lot of responsibility. They were to take care of the the things of the tabernacle, the reporters, they were to transport their tabernacle. They were to do all sorts of things. But they weren't priests. Only Aaron and his sons served in the priesthood. So, uh, that's an important Important thing, of course, that came through lineage. If you were a descendant of Aaron, then you were qualified to be a priest. If you were a male descendant of Aaron. Now, uh, of course, the role of the high priest was a, a, a lifelong uh, service at that time. And as I've already mentioned, 
In Hebrews 9, 6, and 7, it tells us that again. The priest entered into the most holy place one time a year. It was also known as the Day of Atonement. And he would go in there one time a year, and he would offer, of course, a sacrifice for his sins because he was sinful. And then he would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And that, that was once a year. Um, now, let's talk about how or what happened during uh, Exodus and that period of time when God set them apart or sanctified them. We know that's what sanctified means, to be set apart. But when God set them apart for a specific purpose, and there's a reason he did that, Remember that a priest is a mediator that stands between God and man. Why is a mediator needed? Well, we know if you look in Isaiah 59 too, our sins have separated us from God. We're not worthy to go before God. We need a mediator. Or they needed a mediator back at that time. God is holy. You know, if you look... Uh, We've got two uh, scriptures there, Isaiah 6, 3, and Revelation 4, 8. If you look in there, of course, it, it's like God is holy. Let me just pull that one up. Uh, Isaiah 6, 3. We know that. We sing songs uh, to that effect. Said, and uh, this is talking about angels and things talking about God. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. He is set apart from us. We cannot approach God, or at that time, they could not approach God on their own. They had to have a mediator. And God wanted to make sure that they understood that these priests of the Old Testament were set apart, and they were different from everybody else. And so they went through a consecration time, lasting uh, about a period of seven days, and they did several things. First of all, uh, they had special garments. Look at uh, Exodus 28, 4. It reads like this. And these are the garments which I shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a roided coat, a mitre, a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons, that he may minister uh, unto me in the priest's office. And then look at uh, Exodus 31.10. It says again, In the clothes of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his son to minister to the priest. He's talking about uh, what they're going to make. So these clothes, these robes, these uh, headdress and all sorts of things they made for Aaron and his sons, it was for a specific purpose. It was to set them apart. Now, do we still do that today? Not in a religious sense. We don't do it. But as a people, we understand about special garments. You've been to graduation? What are the graduates wearing? They got this robe on, they got this funny hat on. Why are they wearing that? Well, it represents they've attained some special status, haven't they? They've reached the graduation, whether it's high school, college, or whatever else. They've reached a special station. You think about the judges 
we have in our country. What do they wear? They wear robes, don't they? Why? Well, they've been set apart, haven't they? They have a special situation that they're dealing with in life. In the military, why they wear uniforms? Well, it kind of sets them apart, doesn't it? They're doing a special job for our country. Uh, and, you know, you could go on and on. Policemen and all sorts of, they're set apart. And we recognize that. As a people, we recognize what you wear sets you apart. It represents something. You know, um, if you're going to go to a funeral or something like that, you don't dress in your work clothes, you mow the yard in, do you? No. You kind of dress up, don't you? You put some decent clothes on. Why do you do that? Are you not showing respect to the person that has passed away and, and their memory? You are. You are. So these garments that God uh, had made for Aaron and his sons did the same thing. They set those people apart. The Israelites saw that, okay, these people are set apart. They're different. They're wearing these things to do what God has asked them to do because they were the mediators then. Uh, And look at Leviticus 21. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. You can read the whole chapter. You'll get the full context there. Starting in Leviticus 21, 21. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And read up above there, it tells you some of what uh, it's talking about there in a blemish. And people say, well, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Well, if you think about what God is doing here, he's setting apart these men for a special purpose. God is perfect. Uh, again, in reading the study for this, many people think that that was a symbol of God's perfection. He wanted the people that served Him to be perfect too, in that way, to approach God in that way. Matter of fact, if you uh, if if you look in, uh, I think this is where it is. Yes, uh, look in First Peter one nineteen. I thought that's where I put that point. In 1 Peter 1.19, we're reminded of the sacrifices and how they had to be. Of course, this is talking about the blood of Christ to begin with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you remember uh, when God instituted the Passover in Egypt, he was very particular about what that lamb ought to be. And it was without spot and without blemish. Again, a representation of of approaching a perfect God and he wanted a perfect sacrifice. Uh, Again, he's set apart. And uh, under the old law, he wanted those people uh, to to be set apart like that. Uh, Again, I've already made the point, Exodus 29, 37. You can read that whole chapter. I mean, it goes through a long list 
of what they had to do to consecrate Aaron and his sons to the office of the priest. And again, it lasted around seven days with several sacrifices and those type things. Um, I want you to look at Exodus 29 verse 4 though. Because that, that's going to refer back to that later on. <clears throat> Exodus 29 and verse 4. And this is one of the first things. The whole chapter from then on, it talks about all the different things they had to do. Sacrificing, several. But the first thing, and Aaron and his sons, thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shalt wash them with water. That's the first thing they did. Before they started offering sacrifices, before they started doing anything, they washed them with water. That's going to be, come back and be important a little later on. Uh, questions or comments so far? Yes. I never do. That's my wife. I got no. Go ahead, Larry. <laughs> Go ahead. going to be a part of us being priests too later on. Have to have that. Yes. I was thinking about before sin entered the world. I like to think about that because the world was perfect and God actually walked with Adam in the garden. Mm -hmm. and we didn't need that in between. Mm -mm. It wasn't that separation of sin, was it? No, we didn't need that. Okay, good point too. All right, any others? <coughs> All right, let's see. Where is this? What do I do with the clicker? Here it is. <laughs> do what? I don't know exactly how that worked, but I know that, that they had a special relationship with God that we don't have today as far as uh, being sinless in that way. All right. Now let's talk about the Christian priesthood. Uh, back then, of course... Aaron and his line were the priests. But notice the first point on this one. Uh, all Christians are priests. All of us. Well, let's look at 1 Peter 2, 5, and 9. Here it reads, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Okay. So we see from those scriptures that as Christians we are priests. We're a priesthood. Well... You know, back when Aaron and his sons became priests, uh, they had to be sanctified, did they not? Look at uh, Hebrews 10.22. 
And if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, you're going to find out a whole lot about priests. That's the book to read. <laughs> because it, it, it does, uh, you know, I think, I think it was 15 times or more that uh, priest is mentioned, high priest is mentioned, all sorts of references in there to the uh, uh, old priesthood and to the priesthood being changed to what we have today. And notice it's the book of Hebrews, written to the Hebrew people. They ought to understand that really well, shouldn't they? Being the Hebrew people. And the person that wrote that book, you may have a, a, a preference to you think did. I, I personally think Paul wrote it, but uh, had a deep understanding of the priesthood and the high priest of the old law. And they made that correlation of that priesthood to the priesthood we had today and did it in a... I mean, you could spend... Uh, how long? Just, just studying the references in that book alone. Um, but in Hebrews 10.22, it says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What did they do to Aaron and his sons to begin with? They washed them with water. Well, how does it say we are, are sanctified or set apart today? We're washed with pure water. Now, Wayne Jackson, in quoting uh, a gentleman, said that uh, to, uh, this reference is clearly uh, referring to the uh, New Testament baptism as we're washed with water. Well, let's, let's go ahead and look at some more. Uh, look at Acts twenty-two sixteen. You probably already know what that says. Of course, this is talking about Paul here after he has been praying and fasting after his uh, meeting of Christ on, on the road to Damascus. And uh, uh, Ananias is saying to him, And why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul at that time was still in his sins, but he had to be baptized. He had to be washed by that water. Of course, we know the water doesn't do anything, but it's the symbolism of that water. It's the obedience to God. Nothing magic in the water. You know, of all the things that you do to become a Christian, uh, uh, you have to hear with your ears, you've got to believe from the inside, you've got to repent, you've got to change your life and, and decide you're going to do different. You have to confess Christ. You have to get up and, and verbally confess Christ. And then lastly, you're baptized. Not that you can do that yourself. Of all the things that are on the plan of salvation, baptism is the one thing you don't do. Somebody else has to do it to you. Somebody else has to do it for you. You can't do that. You can hear and believe, repent, and confess, but you can't baptize yourself. Somebody else has got to do that. I think that's rather interesting that the final acceptance of God is total submission. Nothing that you can do. You have to submit to baptism. You have to submit to somebody burying you under that water. You can't do that yourself. The rest of it, it's up to you to get to that point. But the final act of becoming a Christian is total submission. Uh, and look at Ephesians uh, 5.26.
And Ephesians 5, 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the church, with the washing of water by the word. How do we learn that we need to be washed? By the word. The word teaches us that we need to be washed. Titus 3, 5. Titus 3, 5. And it reads like this. Uh, let's start at 4. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Spirit. We continually see a washing, don't we? Look at John chapter 3. Of course, we know what's going on in John chapter 3 is when uh, Christ is talking to Nicodemus here. And in verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So as Christians, we are born into the priesthood. But how are we born? Through baptism. Are we not? We're born again. Now, we're not born, we don't have a lineage like Aaron, but we are born again spiritually into that priesthood, just like the Levitical priests were born through a lineage of man. We're not. We are uh, submit to Christ in baptism. And through that submission, we are born again, of course. And because of that, uh, we can uh, serve as, a, as priest in the church. Now, um, and to make that point, all priests today serve in the church. If you're not in the church, if you're not a member of the church, you're not a priest. You can't serve as a priest. So obeying the gospel, becoming a Christian... Makes you a priest. And now you can serve God. You can offer up spiritual sacrifices. You can do those things that are acceptable and pleasing to God. And you can approach God. That mediator that they had to have in the Old Testament. Why don't we have to have that mediator today? Why can we be priests? We're in Christ. What does that do for us? Makes us pure. It takes that sin away. It separates that sin between us and God, doesn't it? If we're walking in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. So we can approach God. We can speak to God. Now, of course, we have a mediator or that, that inter, intercedes for us or does intercession for us, and that's Christ. He's our high priest. We're going to get to that point in a minute. But we can approach God directly and pray to God. And ask for his help and his assistance because we serve uh, in that uh, priest capacity. Um, look at Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 reads, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Now we could talk about this quite a bit, 
He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is that in contrast to? Dead ones. They were used to that, weren't they? They were used to having dead animals everywhere because of sacrifices. So this is a direct contrast to that. You're going to be a living sacrifice. Well, it's interesting. Those animals were offered over and over and over and over again, weren't they? Well, we don't have to do that anymore because Christ offered himself once, didn't he? His blood only had to be offered one time. That's why we can offer living sacrifices. We don't have to worry about the animal sacrifices, the dead sacrifices anymore. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter uh, in Romans chapter 12, it'll take you through many things that you can do as a Christian to offer up those spiritual sacrifices, whether it's being a help to others, uh, whether it's teaching. uh, All sorts of things are mentioned there uh, that we can do that are spiritual services to others. You know, we represent Christ on earth. Christ went about doing good. We should do the same thing. We should be His ambassadors and, and we should be the ones that go about doing good for others and helping others in, in every, every way that we can. Of course, the most important way is pointing them to Christ so they can change their life and have hope of eternal life also. But, but there's, those spiritual sacrifices... Are, are, are there for us. Now, I want to make another point. Uh, Philippians is talking about Paul. He's talking about pouring himself out as a drink offering. But all those things that he's doing, even the assistance he got uh, in his work, he considered a sacrifice. So giving. Now, I want to jump down to worship, though. Think of the things that we do as Christians as worship. We sing. You know, we pray. We uh, we, we give, we're teaching, we're studying God's Word now, and then we remember Christ's sacrifice during the Lord's Supper. Now, are those types of sacrifices we offer to God? Yes, they are. They are. We are the priest offering worship sacrifices to God. Hebrews 10.25 cautions us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. I want you to think back to the old Levitical priesthood again, when it came time to go to the tabernacle, they were going to offer sacrifices and do what needed to be done for God. Could they do that without the priest being there? What if the priest didn't show up? The people didn't have anybody, did they? They didn't have a mediator. Okay, we don't have to have a mediator today, but we're the priest. If we don't show up, Who's going to offer sacrifices? Well, I reckon those that do. But we need to show up as priests. We need to be here to offer our spiritual sacrifices to God. The things that we do during worship. Now that's, of course, worship is not the only thing we do for God. I said read Romans chapter 12. Christianity is not something you just do and you come to church and it's over. Christianity is, is a way of life. It's how you live. You leave here and you're still a Christian. And you're doing things that a Christian would do. It's not just your church building. We know that. You know, it's, it's part of our life. It, it, it's a way of life that, that, that we live uh, toward, towards God. All right, questions and comments right here because we're kind of to a breaking point. The next point is about Christ as our high priest. Any questions or comments at this point, though? 
It was. It was not acceptable worship unless they did it exactly as God said. You know, does that pertain to us today? It does. You know, God gave them a very specific pattern to follow. If they didn't follow it, He physically took care of it right then. He gives us that same kind of situation today in the New Testament about worship and about how to live our lives and those type of things. Uh, he doesn't react on that physically like he did back then. But does he still expect the same from us today? He does. He, he expects us to consult his word, to read what he wants us to do, and to follow that. That's what he wants us to do. And if we don't do that, of course it's sin. It's sin to us not to do that. And, and uh, God will hold us accountable for that uh, later on. It is. And you know, we're not the audience, are we? We're the ones doing the offering. God's audience. You know, he, he's the, we're, we're here to worship Him. We're not here to entertain ourselves or do this for us. We're supposed to be here to worship God and to remember. And, and as far as sacrifice goes, we remember that sacrifice. We remember because it only had to be offered once, didn't it? You know, they, they came and offered. So we don't have to do that. And we ought to be very grateful. We don't have to do that. And because of the relationship uh, that put us, uh, the relationship that put us in in Christ. What time is this class over? One, one other thing. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, I'm having to move back. My hearing is not what it ought to be. Uh, baptism has always been part of salvation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brother Marshall Keeble. Some of you may or may not be familiar with him. He's got a sermon that's very popular. There's water in the plant. There is. There's a, you, you look through the Bible. There's water in the plant. And talking about Noah, which I think is a great example. Noah and his family were in the ark. When the floods came, the ark was lifted up and they were saved. The same water that saved them, what did it do to everybody else? 
He took them out of the way, didn't he? Cleansed the earth of all the evil and everything at that time. But the same water that saved them killed the other folks. It, it was a line of separation, was it not? It was a line of separation between those that obeyed God, knowing His family, and those that didn't. Water baptism, same thing today? I think so. When we study, and we understand what God wants us to do, that water's a line of separation. It's a line of separation between us being willing to submit to God and His will and those that won't. It can be that line of separation. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. It's not the water, but it's no. submitting, and the work that's done is God performing almost like a circumcision, a surgery on us yep. by removing the old man of sin. You know, if you look through the whole Bible, God has always expected the same thing faith and obedience. It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. Now, He had different rules and regulations for those people than He does for us. But those two things have always combined to please God. Faith and obedience. Of course, we know faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You don't make up your own rules and regulations. You study what God has asked you to do. And if you're willing to follow, then you have faith and obedience, don't you? And that's, that's always what, what uh, faith is. I don't think so. We cannot improve on God's ideas. Well, once you get away from what God has said, where does that leave everybody? Doing what's right in his own eyes. Right? If you leave what God has said in worship or anything else, then your opinion is just as good as mine. And, and just doing do what's right in your own eyes is what you end up doing if you're not doing what God said. We'll have to stop there. I heard the timer go off. We didn't get through. Uh, didn't have that much to go, but anyway. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe there'll be another time where they're going to be out of town and we can, we can finish up.